morning. Are you guys like nice and awake and enjoying your uh, extra hour of sleep? Zach, Zach was telling me, he goes, yeah, but the poor people who work night crew, they work an extra hour. I'm like, oh yeah, I guess so. They get paid for it. How that works, I don't know. But anyways, uh, I just, I'm happy to be back up here. I, I've actually missed it. Um, and uh, I, I pray that you are enjoying this time in Ephesians. It's just a fantastic book. And, um, you know, there's a lot of challenges in life. And there's times that, that uh, myself, I can, I can get down a little bit and, and, and struggle with just whew, feeling low. And uh, the wonderful thing is, like, one time Karen goes, how are you doing? I go, well, I just spent, spent a good part of the day studying Ephesians, and God's grace is awesome. And uh, it just shows how important it is for us to be in God's word and allow that to be the center of our lives and our hearts. And it just brings just an amazing peace and a wonderful uh, energy that comes from knowing God uh, loves us and sacrificed himself for us. So uh, I'm thankful. Let's pray, and then we'll get into our uh, message this morning. And then we'll also just flow right into a time of communion from Ephesians 2. Gracious Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your grace. Father, we thank you that we were dead in our sins, but in Christ you have made us alive. And we're looking at that today. So Father, may you be glorified. Father, may you just renew within us a joy of our salvation, knowing that you are a great loving, and merciful God. And so we're here today to learn more of you and to praise you for all you've done. It's in Jesus' great name we pray. Amen. How many of you, uh, I, was, I was thinking about this, just do something over and over like it's a favorite activity, but every time you do it, it's just as fresh as the first time. For example, uh, I think all of us have activities that, that never get old for us, and, and it is refreshing and fun, and it, it, and it brings a smile to our face. It, it re-energizes us. It gives us, it gives us joy. We all have things that we just love, and, uh, but we also have things we get tired of, right? We understand that. You know, like our kids, when we talk about, you know, getting tired of something, you know, my kids would, oh, I'm not supposed to do this, but I'm sorry, my kids, if you hear this. <laughs> What's for dinner? You know, hey, Dad, what's for dinner? Uh, pasta. Pasta again? Oh, <laughs> uh, we always have pasta. Yeah, because it's cheap. So sit down and, and you'll enjoy it and it'll be good. <laughs> but then, you know, they complain about dinner. But then one hour later, hey, Dad, what do we have for dessert? <laughs> we have ice cream. Yes, I love ice cream. Ice cream's great. Ice cream's the... You don't get tired of ice cream. Never get tired of ice cream. I love ice cream. And really, I think, if, to be truth be known, I think it's only the poor, unfortunate soul who tires of ice cream. I mean, because it's good. But we all have things like this that we just don't tire of watching or doing. A foodie never tires of good food. I know, I am food obsessed. You're getting the picture of that. And a sweet tooth will always enjoy and crave uh, candy and treats. I saw that last night. Now, you would say that I saw it with the kids, but I was watching knowing I was going to mention this today. Some of you adults like your candy, myself included. A chocoholic does not tire of chocolate. 
kind of expecting an amen from that one, but that's okay. <laughs> a skier loves the snow every day. The snow is always new for a skier or a snowboarder. I'm a skier. A fisher loves to fish. It's new every day. A surfer is stoked with each new wave. A film lover will watch a classic multiple times, even, they, even though they know every scene by heart. My kids always say, Dad, are you watching Lord of the Rings again? Yeah. How come? It's on TV. Well, there's commercials. Yeah. Well, we have the DVD. I know, it's on TV. <laughs> because I stop each time it's on because I love the story and I love the movie. It doesn't get tired for me. Some music never gets old to the musician or the music lover. Watching the sunset within the clouds in our wonderful county never gets old. In fact, I think I take a picture of it almost every day. Because it just is gorgeous and it reminds me of God's glory. We are blessed to live here in so many ways with those kinds. It doesn't get old. I can stare out over Yosemite Valley from Glacier Point and spend hours there and bask in the glory of God's creation and it never gets old. Every single time, it's awesome. Because we see the fingerprint of God in his creation. Brothers and sisters, we're in Ephesians 2. A, a message we've heard so many times. But a believer never, ever tires of the gospel message. It is our eternal good news. The story of God's amazing grace never gets old. It is wonderful every single time. It's always fresh. It always brings wonder and amazement. And how tragic it would be if we ever found ourselves in a state where we would glumly say, oh, the pastor's preaching a passage about grace. Again. I think I'll check my phone and see how the game is going. I'm tired of hearing of grace. What a tragedy that would be. In fact, if that's a tragedy or in our hearts, Question your love for Christ and has he awakened you to life? Never say, I've heard this before. This is no big deal. I think I'll check out on this one. If that became our attitude, we should fall to our knees in repentance because God's grace is always amazing. That's why we sing of it. I love being able to pick the songs and know what text I'm in. Today we're speaking of God making us alive. Did you see what we just sang? Oh, praise the one who paid my debt and raised this life up from the dead. Wow. And so two weeks ago, we saw in verses one through three the condition of our life. And I want to do a quick review. We saw what we were like when we were separated from Christ. The condition we were in was dead. We were disobedient to God and we were doomed. The text clearly shows the depraved condition of those apart from Christ. And apart from Christ, we followed the world, we followed Satan, and we followed after our sinful desires. Because we were apart from Christ, because of our disobedience and our willful sin, we were doomed. We were children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So if you have a chance, if you didn't hear the message, and I don't like self-promotion, but I would say go back and watch it. 
I would humbly ask you that. Why? Because when we know where we came from, when we know our sinful state, it does nothing but magnify God's grace. And the greater we can magnify God and give him the glory, the better it is. He must be the one who is huge in our lives. And so today, I think on your notes you have point two and three. I can tell you right now, we're getting just point two. But it's going to be awesome. And we're going to move into a time of communion as we look at the character of God and the work of God in our lives. So let's read our text. Ephesians chapter 2, and we'll start at verse 1 so we get the whole, the whole picture. Verse 1, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We're going to focus today on verses 4 through 7, and we're going to see this. Our life with Christ is this. We are alive. We are alive with Christ. See, we were dead in our sins, but God... We were following the world, we were following the devil, we were following our own sinful desires, but God stepped in. We were children of wrath, but God stepped in. And in our life with Christ, we are alive. We have been made alive. God's gracious and sovereign action now places us in complete contrast to where we were in the verses before this. It's an opposite. Do you see that? From death to life. From following the uh, prince of the, of the world to following and being in Christ. It's amazing. We were lifeless and we were condemned. We had no hope, but God came to our rescue. And look how Paul describes the character and the work of God in these verses. And that's what I want to do today. Let's look first at who God is. And in our text today, we see God's character. Do you see it there? Here, who is our God? Who do we worship? Our God is merciful, loving, gracious, and kind. In our overall passage, which is one sentence in the Greek in that first half, Paul affirms the truth of God's wrath and God's love. They're both there. And so many people will say, and you've heard me say this before, what do you believe about God? God is love. Absolutely. Scripture says that. But is God only love? 
And we need to let this sink in. No, you can't understand wrath and love without having both of them there. Because that's what we're saved from. We are saved from God's wrath. Do you know that there's a, a, some churches, we sing in Christ alone, right? Right? And on the cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. Do you know there are churches out there that will not sing that? They don't want to bring up the wrath of God. It's not a popular message. I think it's a wonderful message. Because that's what we're saved from. Don't weaken the grace of God. Don't ever forget where you came from. You were, I was, a child of wrath. Dead in my sins, but God. And we see his character. Merciful, loving, gracious, and kind. So let's gaze upon God as he's revealed in our, in our passage today. We are alive because God is merciful. Paul says here, rich in mercy. Any of you know a real generous rich person? Or just a generous pers person in general? There's some wonderful things about that, isn't there? God has blessed us with people in the body of Christ who just have a spirit of generosity. And I think sometimes that's a picture of how God works. You ever have someone who... who you knew was in need and you just said, you know what, I don't even have much, but I'm going to generously give. I need to help them. God is rich in mercy. Is there anything God is lacking? No. He is complete. And his mercy is rich. Rich in mercy. In Psalm 103, verse 8, David says this, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. And God pours out this mercy on whom? His enemies. On the children of wrath. On the ones who live in rebellion. Oh, the riches of his mercy. Because it is not earned or deserved. 1 Peter 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus. Later on in 1 Peter, in chapter 2, Peter proclaims that we have been called out of darkness into God's marvelous light. Once without mercy, but now we have received mercy. Any of you ever been a recipient of human mercy? How does that make you feel? It's actually not very common, is it? We are not a merciful people by nature, right? The world, how can the world be merciful when they're children of wrath and dead in their sins? They can maybe pull it out once in a while out of their flesh, but mercy is, is, comes from the Holy Spirit working within us. And we give mercy because we have received mercy. And God is rich in mercy. When mercy leaves a family a couple, a brother and a sister, what happens in the home? Chaos and fighting. But when mercy is there, there's peace and love because it comes from God. We are also alive when we see God's character because God is loving. 
How does Paul describe the love of God? God? He calls it what? Great. Because of his great love. We call a lot of things great, don't we? How was your hamburger? Great. How was your day today? Great. How was your vacation? Great. Except the flight. And we start adding little caveats. But God's love for his people is great. God has shown us great love. Romans 5a. God demonstrates and proves his love for us in that while we were still sinners, and that's dead and depraved and a child of wrath, Christ died for us. God loves us. Does that amaze you? Let that sink in. God loves you. And he demonstrated it. How many of you guys go to like Costco? Yeah, my, yeah. You go there often. <laughs> the other day I was just kind of walking through and I didn't really stop, but the, the Nutribullet kind of thing in the smoothie mix, they're like, they're demonstrating it. And they're going, oh, I'm going to prove that this frozen fruit will become a smoothie in about 10 seconds. And right, and they let it go. They're demonstrating and proving that it's worth forking over the $149 or whatever it is. They're trying to sell because they do a demonstration. Or they don't do it as much, but like growing up at the fair, you know, like put the eggs on the pan and crank it up to, you know, way too hot and let it, and look, it just cleans right off. I need that. Get the checkbook out. Because they demonstrate it and you see it worked. God demonstrated and gave us a picture of his love. And it was Jesus Christ. And we have an empty cross and an empty grave that demonstrated it worked. And he loves us. He caused us to be his children through his love. God loved the world that what? He gave his only son. Never, ever, Child of God, never question his love for you. He proved it. He demonstrated it. And the proof of his love, it resounds in our salvation, doesn't it? The cross and resurrection prove his love for us. 1 John 3, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we are called the children of God. Verse 16, by this we know love that he laid down his life for us. Turn to 1 John chapter 4. It's just too good. We got to go there. First John chapter 4. I'm just going to read and just note how God loves us. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from whom? God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. You know what made manifest means, right? It appeared. You could see it. John actually always makes a point of that. What we have seen, what we have heard, what our hands handled concerning the word of life, as he says in chapter 1. John is always saying, we know Jesus we saw him, we felt him, we touched him, we heard him. He is real. And in this, 
the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might what? Live. Live through him. We've been made alive. Isn't it what John wrote this? But it's completely in sync with Paul. Peter wrote the passages that we looked at earlier, completely in sync with Paul and one another because the word of God is God-breathed. Men moved by the Holy Spirit, the scriptures say, spoke from God. This is Holy Spirit inspired. And this is love, not that we love, lost my place, and this is, And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the payment or the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to also love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. God loves us and he empowers us to love. God is gracious too. We are alive because of God's grace. God's love and grace was when, even when we were dead in our sins, and God made us alive together with Christ, for by grace you have been saved. Paul repeats this truth again back in Ephesians in verse 8, and we'll be there next week. By grace you have been saved. Being made alive is when we were being made alive when we were dead is God's work of amazing grace. And we have received and experienced the undeserved favor of God. God's grace is glorious. And in chapter one, back in Ephesians. We see the kindness of God. Look at verse 7 of chapter 2. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. I love the word kindness. I like kind people. I strive by the grace of God to be kind. Because the world is not kind. At all. God is kind. And it overwhelms me that he's kind to those who don't deserve it. We're kind to our kids. We're kind to those who we like. But oftentimes we are an unkind people. Don't be hard-hearted. Allow God to change us and to be kind people because God is kind. And I really want all of us to really grasp this truth that God's grace given to us, it's undeserved. I think sometimes we forget that. A lot of times, depending on our background, I'm a church kid. I've been going to church since before I was born. By God's grace... And it's only God's grace. He, he, I have a good friend. We talked about it. We were saved from a lot of horrific sin just from the grace of being in a Christian family. But that's not all of us. That's just God's kindness. I could have a background totally opposite of what I was raised in. Could be pagan. 
We're all coming from different areas, but God's kindness is great. Whether you were that self-righteous church kid like myself, or you were the chief of all sinners, God is kind. It is not deserved. It is completely a gift. Why were we made alive? When we were dead, our text tells us, God is rich in mercy. He has a great love for us. And that love was even when we were dead in our sins, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. God's character is evident in this passage. We have mercy, love, grace, and kindness. So I pray you're seeing God's character today. I pray it's filling your heart with joy. I pray it's preparing you to take a time of communion and remembering God's mercy, love, and grace and his kindness towards us. Our text shows God's character, but it also shows God's work in us. And the first work that God did for us is this. He made us alive with Christ. You guys remember the story of Lazarus? Jesus' friend. He was dead in the grave, you remember? Four days. Wrapped up. In John 11... In verses 17 through 44, we see the account of this. And I love it. Jesus proclaims, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And he shows it. And he proves it. A few moments later, at the grave, what does Jesus say? He says, roll away the stone. And what did the people do? What did Mary and Martha say? He stinks! Bad idea. We know what you just said, and we're looking forward to the resurrection when you return. They understood the kingdom. We see that in the passage. But they said, uh-uh, four days. I'm imagining the weather probably was that nice climate that they have there. And my wife's shaking her head at me saying, don't get too graphic or anything, so I'll stop. <laughs> but it doesn't take long for something dead to rot. We know this to be true. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's fine. We understand what dead is, right? We'll just stop there. <laughs> but Jesus says, no, roll away the stone. And what's he say and proclaim? It says with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. Are you saved today? Because here's what God has done for, me, for you. Glenn, come forth. Karen, come forth. Christian, come forth. Joe, come forth. Ron, you stinky dead person, come forth. And he made us alive. He has done that for us. He has done that for you and for me. You have been called out from death 
to life. And this is a call only God can do. People do not call themselves forth from the dead. They lay there and they rot. Fill in the blank. Jesus said to you, come forth. Lazarus is a picture of you and me. That is awesome. We were awakened by the call of God, by his grace alone. God made you alive. Understand that. You cannot make yourself alive. It is a work of God. And it's a work of his loving, merciful, sovereign grace. You see, many people hear the outer call of the gospel. Even today, I want to beg you, if you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, if you have not placed your faith in the work of the cross and the work of the resurrection for the atonement or the payment of your sins, you see, the wages of your sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. If you have not placed your faith in Christ, would you please come, run forward today after this message and talk to me or talk to anyone in this church. And we will tell you the good news of Jesus Christ and help answer any questions you would have. I am calling you and begging you to agree with God about your sin and to place your faith in Jesus Christ. I'm calling you to believe. See, that is an outer call. That is a call that we proclaim, that we should be proclaiming to our friends, to our neighbors, to our family, to our children. It should be the message of our hearts that God made us alive. So that is an honor call, but each one of us who is believers, we know there's something different too. There's an inner call. There's a call that only affects your heart. At that moment of awakening, the Spirit gives life. And as it says in Galatians 1, it says this, But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. So are you ready for the theological term of the day? It's this, regeneration. Being brought from death to life by God's miraculous and gracious call is called regeneration. Being made alive is called regeneration. And that is what Jesus meant when he talked to Nicodemus and said, you must be born again. And Nicodemus is like, what are you talking about? Uh, Go back to mom? Jesus is like, really? You're a teacher of Israel and you don't understand these things? You must be born again. You see, God awakens people to life. This is an important, important doctrine. See, because Christianity is about being made new. It is about being a new person in Christ. If anyone is in Christ, he is what? A new creation. The old things, the dead part, the child of wrath, following the prince and the power of the air, following your flesh and the desires. That is dead and gone, and you've been made alive in Christ, and that has been made new. Christianity is not about trying harder. It's not about, I'm going to be better, I'll be more kind, I'll... I'll put some money in a couple months in the good in in the in the bell ringers deal at christmas time that's not what it is it's about being made new god awakens people to life 
And so what we must do as his people is go tell the world our God saves. He saves people. Our God makes people alive. You want to know the greatest testimony that you have and the greatest miracle that you can proclaim to others? Are you ready? You. Your story is the greatest story you can tell because it's Christ-centered. Christ in me is my hope. Christ in me is my life. God made you alive. And in this room, whom has he made alive? We have different nationalities. We have different backgrounds. We have church kids who've been awakened in the middle of worship times. We've seen awakening come to those without even a hint of church background. We have old and young awakened. We have policemen and convicts awakened. Liars and thieves are awakened. Addicts and teetotalers awakened. The rich and the poor, given life in Christ, awakened. Self-righteous people, awakened. Sinners who felt they were outside any possibility of God's grace, awakened. God awakens and brings us to life. God's work of regeneration brings a person to life and salvation. And he doesn't show bias. He saves people. Every tribe, tongue, and nation, from the worst of sinners, the thief on the cross, to the self-righteous, like Nicodemus. You know, I think Nicodemus came to Christ, and I think he was kind of saying, hey, confirm it, I'm good enough. Jesus says, nope, you need my grace. A couple chapters later, what do you have, the woman at the well? I think she's saying, I'm not good enough. And Christ says, you're not. You need my grace. Note God's work. He made us alive, in verse 5, with Christ. Look at verse 6. He raised us up with Christ. Look at 6b. He seated us with Christ. So you see this? We are united and we are in union with Christ. He made us alive together with Christ. The words used for being raised together and joined together are the words we would use to, be, to describe something being in sync. We understand that, don't we? What's the thing we sync up? Probably not as often as we should, but we sync it up from time to time. Our phone or our music players, right? We plug it in the computer so that the music on computer A goes into phone B. And it joins together and it syncs. And you know, oh... My Sovereign Grace album, which is on my computer, is also on my phone now. It's in sync. We are in sync with Christ. Being raised together with Christ. You see that in verse 6? What's Paul talking about there? He's talking about the resurrection of Christ. What God did for Christ in raising him from the dead, let this sink in. God did for you. Colossians 2, verse 12 says this, Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. 
You've been raised with Christ, so keep think, seeking the things above where Christ is. Colossians 3.1. You have been raised with Christ. I have to admit, and go ask Jeff. He's, he's taking seminary classes. I'm not sure exactly, like, I hope we get, like, a picture of this someday in heaven. But what that is telling me is when God raised Christ from the dead, he had Ron in mind. Because it says we were raised together with Christ. Now, God is God, and I'm going to allow him to be big and to be huge. But we saw earlier, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. This was God's picture. This was God's plan. And when he raised him from the dead, he raised Christ and he raised us up with him. Amazing. What does that tell us? Well, also it says he raised us up with Christ, but he gave us a place of blessing. He seated us with him. Well, we saw where Christ was seated, don't we? In chapter 1, when we were there in verse 20 through 22, That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him, where? At his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. We are seated with Christ. And where is Christ seated? Above all. At the right hand of the Father. We're seated there. Now, does that make us divine? Absolutely not. Don't go crazy with that. But what does it tell us? I'll tell you this. We have victory in Jesus. Because he is above our enemies. The world, the flesh, and the devil are conquered. And so, brother and sister, you've been made alive, seated with Christ. Sin doesn't have to reign in your body anymore. You can say no for the first time ever. People talk about free will and things like that, and I don't want to get too much on a rabbit trail, but we saw in chapter, and you were dead in your sins, can it, and following the course of the world, following our desires, following the devil. Can that person do good? Can that person do righteous? No. God made us alive, placed us with Christ. What can you now do? You are now free to do what God wants you to do. And that's what we're going to see. Paul is in, go in chapters uh, 4, 5, and 6. We're going to see how a Christian ought to live. But what's wonderful is Paul didn't start with this, live this way, live this way, live this way. Oh, by the way, you're powerless to do that because you're dead in your sins. Good luck. No, he says be an imitator of God because what we're looking at now, you've been made alive in Christ. It's awesome. We have victory in Jesus. We have victory over sin and the enemy. Jesus is above all forces and powers. We are seated with Christ and in Christ we now today have victory. God awakens us and gives us a powerful position in Christ and it's a victorious position. And we're also seated with Christ for a purpose. Do you see that in our passage? Why? 
that in the coming ages, for all eternity, he might show what? The immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ. Oh, I'm looking forward to eternity. We are all going to be sitting there and go, look what God did for us. We're his trophies. God says, yep, I love you. And I gave my son for you. We are going to be, and we are, a continual and eternal demonstration of God's amazing grace forever. If we have the men uh, come on up to disperse communion, I want this time of communion and I pray that your heart is rejoicing in God's grace in God's character and in God's work. And I want to use and have a time of communion to celebrate God's amazing grace. So go ahead and, and pass those out and I'll just share a few thoughts. Uh, a couple weeks ago, a brother here came up to me and he said, you know, when a prisoner gets out of jail, out of prison, after serving their sentence here in our world, is life easy for them? Really, in a lot of ways, they're, they're branded a convict. They're branded as guilty. Even though they paid the debt to society, it's not a good position. I can imagine on job applications when you have to check the box, have you ever been committed of a fel- you know, convicted of a felony? That follows you around. You're, ever, you're, you're branded as the guilty one. You're branded as the one who's going to have a hard time finding a job. And it's difficult. It's difficult for those even who find Christ in prison. It's not an easy thing. That's how society treats the convict and the guilty. How does God treat us? He gives us a place of honor. He seats us with Christ. The most undeserving people. You and me. God's grace lifts us up, makes us and joins us together with Christ. For by grace we've been saved. It's amazing. So opposite the world. Remember the brother and the prodigal son? Hey, Dad, I stuck it out. I'm the good guy. Where's my party? And the father says, what? Oh no, my son who was lost and who was dead has been made alive. We're celebrating. That's our God. Merciful, loving, gracious. And he does not hold us to our past. He says, I don't see that. I see Christ. Christ.